0: You're listening to the Avenue Church Podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Avenue Church. How are you guys doing today? man? those of you here at the Hatchie campus, all right, the front section here is live today. Those here that had to campus, if you're watching online or at the end of campus, man, welcome and um, uh, thank you for, for bringing me back, man. I just like Tim mentioned, I'm from a church in Miami, Florida, uh, where I get to be a pastor, so I bring uh, greetings and, and welcome from Christ Fellowship Miami as well. And so uh, if you're back here in May, I, I had an opportunity to preach about being doers and not just hearers of God's word and then putting that into play. And then today, like, like Tim mentioned, I have the opportunity and the privilege to really speak about what generosity uh, looks like. So if you guys are ready, say amen. Let's jump right in. Let's do this. We're going to be in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. Here's what it reads. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I want to start by sharing the story. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, and a good portion of my life I was raised by a single parent. Single mom, had five kids. So you can imagine, I was a middle child. You can probably imagine that anybody in that situation would probably raise, grow up. You, you're, you're raised and you grew up kind of struggling. And we did. We struggled often. We struggled financially. And I remember, uh, I think in retrospect and growing up, like my family was just, we were just really poor. And a and, and majority of the time of that life and that my childhood, I just, I could remember um, not so great and fond moments, but I also remember the generosity of the church that we were part of. So, so for many instances, my family would live with a family from the church for a period of time, and they would move to another family for a period of time until we were eventually approved to go into to stay into this long-term shelter. And it's then the shelter that my mother worked a couple of jobs to try to provide and, and get our family back on our feet. And praise God, we were able to. And we were able to find a place of our own. We, we, we actually had our own home in, uh, in the place of Jacksonville, North Carolina. I think we have a picture of it here coming up soon. Bam, there it is. Yeah, so that here, actually, this room right here that you can see that's closest to me, that was mine and uh, my brother's room where we shared, and the room next door was was my sister's. Uh, We were loud and we kicked clothes in in the wall, and so we kept them from sleeping quite often. But a lot of my childhood memories were from this house. But if there's anything that I remember about this house, it would have to be my first Christmas. The first Christmas, I don't know about you, but today, For us and my family, my wife and my two kids, what we do is the day right after Thanksgiving, the Christmas tree goes up, Christmas music is playing. Listen, we're not playing any games. November's not even done yet. We want everybody to know that we are excited for Christmas. This is what we do here, right? But back at this home, (laughs) the month of December, we didn't see any Christmas trees. Now listen, I'm I'm 11 years old. I'm not stupid. I might be a boy, but if I don't see any Christmas trees, I'm going to start asking some questions here. Like, Mom... I don't see any Christmas tree around here. Christmas is right around the corner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need something to pop up. And so I remember my mom sitting there and she started to manage our expectations. And she says, kids, listen, Christmas is going to look a little different this year. What does that mean? Like, as a kid, as an 11-year-old kid, here's what I really want to know. like, What does that mean, a little different? Here's a question that I really wanted my mom to answer. Are we going to have presents, yes or no? Just tell me that. All right? That's what, as a kid, that's what you want to know. Five kids, you just want to know if you're going to have presents. Lo and behold, Christmas morning, we wake up, there's still no Christmas tree, and there are no Christmas presents under the tree either, because there's, no, there's nothing. So we do what every kid would do. We wailed, we cried, we threw a temper tantrum, everything. We screamed, like, Mother, why have you forsaken us? Why, are we at, why is our life the way that it is? And my mom did what every motherly mom would do. She loved us, she consoled us, she said, it's okay, Christmas is coming soon. And after some time of us crying over and over and over again, my mom put a little, a little bass in her voice. She said, stop it. That's enough. You know, being a strong single mom. My mom would go on to make breakfast. And I remember my brother and I eating our breakfast at a bay window of this house. And as we're eating breakfast, my brother said, hey, let's play a little game. I was like, let's see who can eat breakfast the slowest. You know I lost that game. <laughs> let's see who can eat the slowest. So we're eating this breakfast. And then we see a blue van pull into the driveway. And it's the first time I ever seen a van like this. It was an Astro van. And as this van pulls in, <laughs> this lady gets out and she's walking to, uh, to the door. She, she glimpses at my brother and I through the bay window and she waves. But we don't wave back to her. We're thinking Stranger Danger. Who's this lady? Walking up to my house like this. We answer the door. And we like, say, Mama, somebody here at the door for you. So we turn back. We look at this lady. She extends her hands and says, Come, baby. Now, mind you, we're still still thinking stranger danger, right? So I take a step back, and I look at my brother who's older, and my brother's standing there like this. Like sizing up this old white lady like this. And he looks at me, and he gives me like a nod. You know what that nod is, right? I'm 11, my brother's 12. That nod is basically, if anything were were to happen, we knew that we could take this lady. So we went. That's exactly what that meant. That's That's just... that's just how life was. He's like, we got it. We good? Right, we good. So we walked. We followed this lady. She opened up the van. And before I can even see what was in the van, I saw the look on my brother's face. Boy, oh boy. This was a great day. Again, one of the most fondest memories in that house. We opened up the van, and that van was filled to the brim with presents. With gifts? <laughs> I come back in I'm like getting goosebumps and thinking about it. It was so amazing. that It was just a wonderful day. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. Like, oh my goodness. I ran into the house like, mom, get out here right now. And then telling my sisters, you wouldn't believe this. Santa Claus is really an old white lady. Get out here right now. It's crazy. We went into the car and we were pulling all of these presents back into the house. And I remember sitting there and opening it up. We got like ninja swords. We got Legos. And then I remember holding like a GI Joe. And just thinking to myself, this is amazing. And I remember this lady and my mom talking, them crying. And I remember her telling my mother, I said, Jesus loves you and Jesus loves your children. Listen, I knew, I knew very little about Jesus, but as I was holding that toy, I thought to myself, he's like, yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. I don't want you to miss the, the, the point of why I share this story in the passage of, of what I shared, that you can't serve both God and money. I was impacted at a very young age by the generosity of the church. People who gave their time, their talent, and their treasure. People who gave their money to advance the gospel so that my family and I could have a Christmas. Still to this day, I've never forgotten it. And I will never forget it. I will always tell my children, I'll tell my grandchildren of how God has been faithful in my life, still to this day, how God is always faithful. Now listen, that left an indelible mark on my life. And I share that story with you. And I share this passage that you cannot serve both God and money. And the reason why I share those two together, because you'll see the heart of Jesus in our passage today. And the fact that if you struggle of serving both God and money, there's an antidote to that. And the antidote is by being generous. Now listen, you might be new to the church, or maybe you're skeptical when a pastor talks about money And you won't listen to a pastor talk about money because you're just waiting for the pastor to try and get your money. So let me just start by saying this. I don't want your money. And you know what? In this passage of Matthew 6, 24, that's not the purpose of this this passage. It's not the goal for this teaching either. But I will say this. I will challenge you today. As a guest pastor, I will challenge you, whether you are here at the Hatchie campus, whether you are watching online or at the Ennis campus. I will challenge you to give your money away today. Because giving your money away is part of liberating it's it's captivity it's it's part of liberating its deception over you the challenge today is that you would give it somewhere the challenge today is that you would give it you would give it somewhere so let me invite you to put the boxing gloves down if you have them up and to just hear and consider what Jesus is saying here in the gospel of Matthew now listen i know that whenever we talk about money it evokes some kind of emotion from all types of people here because money matters to every single person in this room right it's our livelihood you got education You have bills, you have gas, you have date night. You got to buy toilet paper and stockpile when that time comes again. It's a central tool for our lives. And Jesus knew that it was a central tool for our lives. This is the reason why he spoke so much about it. In fact, if you add up everything that Jesus has to say about heaven and hell, it's still not as much as what he has to say about money. Why? Because money is a spiritual matter. Now listen, you might be one of the people who's like, no, I put my spiritual things in this bucket and I put my money things in this bucket. But listen, I, I, I say this in love, it doesn't work that way. And the reason why it doesn't work that way, because the way that we handle our money reveals what is gripping our hearts. You understand that? How we handle our money reveals what is gripping our hearts. Here's the big idea for today. God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. He does want your heart. So this raises the question, what does my money have to do with my my heart? My desire is that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you in a very tangible and real way that you would feel convicted, that you would feel comfort, compelled to respond and trust and obedience to the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter six, and we're going to look through five verses today. We're going to be starting at verse 19 and go to 24. If you're ready, say amen. amen. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say amen. amen. Let's get it. Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Here's what it says. Jesus is talking here. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now stop there. Quick context here. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. You can find the Sermon on the Mount between chapters five and seven in the Gospel of Matthew. And the Sermon on the Mount basically is Jesus' long sermon. It's, it's, it's beginning at the, at the beginning years of his, his ministry. And he is on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee and he's talking to his disciples. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, hey, this is what it looks like to follow me. If you're gonna follow me, this is what it looks like. And then he gets to a topic of, of money now. And in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Now, why? Well, it's not an issue that treasures are bad, but what we see here, the ultimate value, they have none. They fade and they're temporary. Again, Jesus gives them tangible examples of how their their treasures are fading. Here's what he reads in verse 19, keep reading. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, hey, the the treasures that you're storing up here on this earth, there there are several reasons why you shouldn't store it up. Number one, they can't give you the ultimate security. They really fade and they're temporary, but there are three reasons. He says moth, rust, and thieves. Now, what's the thing about moths? You should know this, that clothing back at that time was very expensive. Clothing still today is expensive. But back at that time, it was very expensive. And so if you read in stories, you see how a cloak was passed from generation to generation. Number one, it served as an heirloom. You would pass it to the oldest son. But also, number two, it was just expensive. Clothing were exp- was expensive. But majority of the clothing, a good portion of the clothing back then was made from wool from animals, from wool. And inside this wool, there's a substance called keratin. Moths would eat keratin. Therefore, moths were eating their clothes. You know what Jesus is saying? All the clothes that you're stockpiling here in the corner, go pick it up. They pick it up. They see holes all in their clothing because the moths are destroying them. It's Jesus saying, look, it's being destroyed by moths. It's, it's ridiculous to put your, your treasure and your, your security on that. Then he also goes to say this, and all by the way, all of the precious metals that you're storing up for yourself, how long are you going to keep it there? Look at it. It's rusting. It's corroding. It's worthless. So Jesus says, not only is moth and rust destroying this earthly treasure that you have, there are these things called thieves. They break in and they steal them. What Jesus is saying, to secure your wealth on these things, is just foolish. These are vulnerable assets. They cannot guarantee the security that you're looking for in life, nor will they do it for your children that you hope it will. Even if it could, you can't take it with you when you die. Jesus is saying money and the stuff that it buys is a very short-sighted treasure of fools. It's vulnerable to attack. It's vulnerable to these random acts of nature. Whatever it is that you are putting your security here on this earth, Jesus says, that's foolishness. So in verse 19, he tells us not to do that. Here's what he says in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moths nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now get this. In the five verses that we're reading today, Jesus gives one command. And that one command is found between verses 19 and 20. The command is this, lay up treasure for yourself. That's the command. But where? Where are we to lay up treasures for ourselves? Verse 20 again, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Say heaven. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say heaven. heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So you got to get the destination right because the destination determines the treasure. That Jesus, his words here are very, very clear. If you look out through all the Gospels, there's this story called The Rich Young Ruler. And get this man. He, he talks to Jesus. He says, Lord, I have done everything according to the law. Tell me, what is next? Listen to the way that Jesus responds to him in verse nine, chapter 19. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now get this. There's a man following Jesus. He says, hey, I've done everything. Everything according to the law. I'm I'm perfect here. What's next? Jesus challenges him. He says, oh yeah? Go sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. It's funny that he says, and come follow me. Because you'd imagine that the rich young ruler feels like he's already following Jesus. There are two mistakes though. There are two mistakes that we often make when it comes to this passage. Number one is to believe that this applies for everyone. No, this applies for people who are like the rich young ruler. And the issue with the rich young ruler is that his, his wealth was an obstacle for his discipleship. In other words, his money got in the way of him truly following Jesus. Now think about this. You may know people this way, or this might be you. Maybe you struggled with this. I struggled with this growing up. God, you can speak into my marriage. God, you can speak into the way that I raised my children. God, you can speak into this business decision or the school decision I have to go to. But Lord, don't talk about my money. Lord, don't touch my finances. I'm good there. I got it. I can can do this. How are we different from the rich young ruler? The reason why this is not for everyone because there are a lot of wealthy people who are generous. There are many wealthy people who give to the poor, who give to those who are in need, who give to the glory of God and praise God for that. So one extreme is this, that to believe that this is for everyone. The other extreme, the other mistake is to believe that this is for no one. That's not true because clearly today we see that people are ruined by materialism. They'll do anything just to have that, that new iPhone, new pair of kicks, the latest tech, the new car. So if the two extremes are, this is for no one, or this is for everyone, who is it for then? Well, ask yourself this question. Is your money an obstacle in your worship? Does your money get in the way of you truly following Jesus here? So in verse 19, Jesus says, we aren't to lay up treasures here on this earth, but we are to lay up treasures in heaven. What does that even mean? And how do we lay up treasure in heaven? Well, look at what Jesus said and what he told the rich young ruler. And what's clear in the Bible. The way that you lay up treasure in heaven is by giving it away. Everything that the Lord has given you, share it. Be generous. Be radically generous. Look what it says in the gospel of Luke. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. By the way, you have to make sure this is clear. There's a there's this thing called the prosperity gospel, and there's another extreme called the poverty gospel. This here is often taken out of context and says, "Hey, this is the poverty gospel." The Lord is not telling you to go broke. Actually, that's 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 un, that's foolish. That's unwise. You still are called to take care of your family. You're still called to feed the, your fam, the, 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 those who are in, are in your care. So this here was to sell your possession to give to the needy. He's not saying to, "Hey, you know, get, here's my car, my house, take everything, here, empty up my bank account." That's foolish. What he is saying here. It's not hoarding your wealth, not worshiping your wealth, not focusing on your wealth. So this is not the prosperity gospel, nor this is this the poverty gospel, which means the less that you have, the more holy you are. That's foolishness too. But here's what it says: Sell your possession and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which is truly life. So you and I as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to store up treasure in heaven and we do that by being radically generous. We do that by being compassionately generous, leveraging the earthly resources that the Lord has given us. Ask yourself this question, how have you been generous? Here's what I love about your church, though. You have been a generous church serving both the physical and the spiritual needs of your community. This You may or may not know this, but I, have to, I want to celebrate you uh, how the Lord is using you to be a generous church here in the community. You may or may not know this, but you have given out 19,000 pounds of food to people in the community through the partnership with North Texas Food Bank since October 2020. Would you celebrate that? And praise God for that. 19,000 pounds of food is a lot. Not only that, of your generosity will go towards helping families with basic needs like rent, electric, water bills, medical needs, and groceries. Would you celebrate how the Lord is using your generosity in that? That's amazing. Perhaps my favorite. There's a laundry list of many things that you guys are doing. Obviously, we don't have the time. But I do want to share this one. Just like the church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Just like the church who provided Christmas for my family. You have provided Christmas for over 100 families through your partnerships with local schools. Would you praise God for that? Beautiful. A way that we store up treasures in heaven is by being radically generous, but why should we? Who cares? Right, if Jesus says, don't store it up on the earth, but store it in heaven, and we store it in heaven by being generous, why does all of that matter? Well, let's look at verse 21 now. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a popular passage, we all know that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now listen, this is a foundational truth for all of mankind. You don't even have to be a believer to believe this. You can be an atheist, an agnostic. You can be somebody who just doesn't believe, I mean, whatever it may be. You could be a Christian, or a new Christian, a mature Christian. This is true for every person. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Your heart will be there also. You know, let's look at two realities here. If you first you want to know where your heart is right now, look at where your money's going right now. Wherever your heart is, look at where your money's going right now. Your current spending will reveal what is gripping your heart. Get this, your bank statement has an incredibly honest job of telling us what it is that we love. Look at your bank statement. Is it another round of golf? Is it a night out in town with the girls? Is it more clothing, the latest tech? Is it another house? Again, all of these things, they're not bad things in and of itself. But what is gripping your heart? Listen, money and how you spend it doesn't just reveal where your heart is right now. Jesus says it determines where your heart will go as well. Think about it this way. If you invest in stocks, the long game, right? The long term game is like, yeah, I'm investing in the, in the future of this this money here. Right now, your heart is directed towards that. Right now you're probably checking that ticker every single day. Where are we at? Are we up? Are we low? Think about it this way. Maybe if you are given to research a cure for a specific disease or something, right? That's the long-term play. But the short-term, you probably start noticing articles about it. You probably start researching, like, where are we at? Or or maybe you give to a church plant overseas. And we know that churches take time to build up. You you can't microwave discipleship, but you understand that's the long-term play. So right now, if a tragedy were to strike that country, you'd be praying right now. So Jesus is saying this, that... Our money reveals our hearts and our hearts will always follow our money. Here's the question. What does your current spending reveal about your heart? The personal bank account that you have, your personal budget, what does it say that you love? Think about it. You see, as you give away your money, this earthly treasure to God's mission, you not only are storing up treasure in heaven, but you're bringing joy down to this earth. Just again, as a little boy, the joy that I experienced on that Christmas morning because of your generosity, the 19,000 pounds of food, the $18,000 that are going to go to help families in need, the 100 families that you provided Christmas for, you're bringing joy down to this earth. Again, that's 19, 20, and 21. In verse 19, Jesus says, do not store up treasures here on this earth. In 20, he says, instead, store it up in heaven. In 21, he says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We do that by being radically generous. Now guess this, in verses 22 and 23, Jesus says the same thing, but he's gonna change the example here. Let's read it. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, Jesus here is contrasting both earthly and and, and heavenly treasure. And then he uses this biblical theme that you see all throughout scripture, both light and dark. What is light is good. What is dark is evil. And Jesus says here, that the eye is what lets light into the body. So get this, healthy eyes will let what is good into the body, therefore you will see the world rightly. You will see the world the way that the Lord sees the world. Bad eyes leave the entire body in darkness. So this is the point. The eyes are just like the heart. Whatever is capturing your eyes becomes what you spend time looking at, becomes what you spend time thinking about, becomes what you spend time caring about, becomes what you spend time loving, and ultimately becomes what you start to treasure. You know what Jesus is saying here is, what are you focused on right now? What has your, your eyes? Are you focused on treasure that fades? This thing called stuff lust? Do you spend hours looking at cars, at homes, at vacation, the latest tech? Again, none of this stuff is bad, but if they become your focus, if they become your treasure, Jesus says you are slipping into darkness. That's what he means in verse 22 and 23. You know, the great thing about this example that Jesus uses here is that you can't focus your eyesight simultaneously on two things. You can only focus on one thing. Everything else is a periphery. The point here is you can't divide your focus. Either you'll be focused on your stuff, your treasures, or you'll be focused on God. For the Christian, for the believer, scripture is very clear on what we should be focused on. Hebrews 12.2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, focusing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what that means. The healthy eye focuses on God's love for us and God's love for others. The unhealthy sick eye focuses on fading wealth. And get this, the one that is consumed by it, you are lost in darkness. That leads us to the last verse today, verse 24. Jesus again says here, no one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot serve God and money. Now Jesus here is driving the point home, and he uses strong language. He says, you. Who is you? Anybody who's reading this and is a believer. So if you're a believer and you read this passage, it's if you're, oh, I didn't read it, I didn't know. He's talking to you still. You cannot. You know what cannot is? There's no gray area. It doesn't say you should think about it. It doesn't say maybe, it doesn't say pray about it. He says, you cannot, you cannot. And then that word serve, the word in there in the Greek is, 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 it means slave. You cannot be a slave of something that he uses words like master love and hate. Those are very strong words here. But what's the point here? The point here is this, it is possible. It is possible for you to devote yourself to God In fact, scripture calls us to devote ourselves 100% to God. It's possible to do that, but it's also possible to devote yourself to money. It's impossible for you to do both. You can't do it. What are you devoting yourself to? Jesus is saying this, and I want to make sure this is clear. Jesus is saying that it's not a sin to have money. It's a sin to serve money. It's not a sin to have it. If you have lots of it, praise God. If you have a little bit, praise God. It's not a sin to have it, it's a sin to serve it. You gotta really search your heart here. Do you serve master money or do you serve master Jesus? You can only serve one. And get this, money has a unique subtle way of moving both you and I from something we have to a master that we serve. And get this, the longer that you serve your money, the more you will resent God and what he says about it. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're resenting this entire message. But praise God. His sovereignty has you here. This is a word for you, for us, for all of us. The more you resent the Lord and what he has to say about money. Remember our big idea for today, that God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. He knows that it will wrap around your heart like nothing else. And your love of money, when I say wrap around your heart, really wrap around your soul. And it'll wrap around your soul if you love your money more than you love God. Scripture tells us that we're made to serve something. It's written on your hearts to serve something. You will commit and devote yourself to something. What are you serving? What Jesus is saying here and what he's warning us here today about is that money makes a terrible God. It makes a terrible God. Money promises blessings, but it doesn't deliver. It promises security, but delivers anxiety. It promises friends, but delivers loneliness. It promises happiness, but delivers problems. It promises redemptions for sins, but it delivers us to temptations of new sins. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, who is a benevolent and giving God, a generous God, he is faithful to his promises. Jesus gives you salvation from, sin, from your sin. Jesus gives you eternal life with God. He gives you joy as you walk with him. He gives you purpose in your life. He gives you people who love you. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you deep peace. He gives you comfort in times of need. He gives you redemption from your sin and deliverance for few sins. The God that we serve is a very generous God. He's generous. He has given everything that you have. Don't make, make no mistake about it. Everything that you have, the fact that you woke up today, the clothing on your back, the car that you drove, the food that you ate, the water that comes out of the, everything that you have or the little that you have that comes from God. By God's grace, he has given you everything. Look at Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. You know what that means? It simply puts this, the world, everything on the world, under the world, inside the world, it all belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. We are stewards of everything that the Lord has given to us. I want to illustrate it by this. I invite my friend Joey out here real quick. And Joey, Can you guys give it up for Joey? Good old worship pastor here. What's up, baby? Man, Joey and I go back to Miami. Obviously, we're friends and we're here now. Joey, I got a question for you. Can I borrow your truck? Thank you. Oh, that's a nice truck. Got heavy keys. You know, you feel the weight of the keys. You know, that truck got to be something. Thank you, man. Hey, I'll bring it back tomorrow. Um, Hey, can I borrow it for another day? Sure. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I really need it. Doing a lot of stuff. Appreciate it. Another day passes. I go back to Joey. Joey, listen, can I borrow your truck for two weeks? Sure. That's a little slower than the first time, but okay. (laughs) I get it. It's two weeks. Three weeks pass by. I still got Joey's truck. I see Joey at church on Sunday. Hey, Joey. And my wife and I, we'd like to invite you and Jasmine over for dinner, man. What? Tonight work? I'll pick you up in your truck. All right, we'll do it. Slide by Joey's house, pick him up. We're eating dinner. Look at you, Joey. Joey, man, Abby and I, we have been praying about this. We've been we had a long conversation. We've been thinking about it. And you know, what? I think we think we want to give you your truck back. You see how ridiculous that sounds? It's 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 so foolish. The truck doesn't belong to me. The truck is Joey's. Joey lent it to me. He let me steward his truck. Yet this is how a lot of us look at our relationship with the Lord. You don't have to pray about God's things. God has given that to you to enjoy it for sure. But God, who is a generous God, has has showed us what generosity looks like. We, our response to God is to be generous as well. Could you guys give it up for Joey? Thank you, brother. We are to develop and to cultivate all that God has given us. The question is this, how are, you, how are you stewarding what God has given you? How are you investing God's money? Is it in his mission or is it in your materialism? Again, Paul writes this in 1 Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches is what we have here on this earth. They're feeble. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here's what that means. It's okay to have stuff. Some of you have a lot of stuff. Praise God for that. You should enjoy that stuff. The warning here is the desire for money. The danger of how it can deceive you. It's deception over your heart. It can engulf your heart without you not even really knowing it. You want to know how you ensure that doesn't happen to you? Regardless of how much you have, you give it away. It's by being radically generous. The most likely competitor of your worship is probably your money. Giving it away is part of freeing. It's freeing its deception over you. In the words of Jim Elliot, here's what he says. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know where the only place you can find security is not in your money. It's not in your stuff. The only kind of security that that he talks to gain something that you cannot lose, that's only found in the gospel. And listen to this. If the gospel is not transforming your heart, if you're not pursuing God daily, if you're not spending time in God's word, we talked about this a few w- a while ago when I was here, uh, about the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation. If your heart isn't being transformed to become more like Jesus, this is just going to frustrate you. You can try to be generous, but every single time you give it away, you're going to give it away begrudgingly. Something has to shift in your mind and your heart to believe that God, everything that I have comes from you. Everything. Where do you stand? Where are you at when it comes to generosity? Listen to this. God doesn't prosper you to raise your standard of living. He prospers you to raise your standard of giving. The same generosity that I felt as a kid, as an 11-year-old boy, all throughout my life, and I, could, I wish I could tell you that the struggles in our life didn't just stop there. That was, Christmas was great. The next day and next week, we still needed something to eat. The generosity of the church, the generosity of other believers who just found out and heard our story that continued to give to us, Look how God has used them and blessed them. Still to this day, over 20 years later, I still say this. I stand before you sharing how good God has been. Listen, let's be clear. It's not a bad thing to be wealthy. Some of you here in this room at Ennis at or online, maybe the Lord has blessed with a lot. God gives his children good things. You should receive them and you should enjoy them. But that's different from hoarding it. It's, a different, it's different from, from being selfish, selfish with it. God has given us wealth as an opportunity to be generous to the world and showing the love of Christ. Through our generosity, you know, at the beginning, I shared the story about how being an eleven-year-old kid and and how this church, this kids director, she we found out later she was a kids director from this church, came to show us love on Christmas Day, and I remember the hope that I received from those presents. Like, man, Jesus is amazing. As a little kid, that rocked my world. Now, I can't tell you that I wanted to go to church. You know, I I, I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't. You know, I just, I, I kind of went because my parents told me. But to feel the generosity and the love and the compassion from that church and to see that, hey man, this is Jesus, man, it was amazing. Full circle, every single Christmas, I have the opportunity to do the same. This past Christmas, my boy and I, Jeremiah, we went out to, across Miami-Dade County to deliver presents to families who are in need. Now what I love about doing this here is I understand how it feels to be on the receiving end of it. So as I'm walking up to the door with my boy, I pray, God, there might be a little Gideon in there. 11-year-old boy or girl, I pray that these gifts would just be a gift of hope, but seeds would be planted. And one day, that lady and her four grandchildren may come to know the Lord. This is because of our generosity, your generosity, that we're able to bring joy back down to this earth that people are able to experience God's goodness. This is what gospel-motivated giving looks like. The fact that you can give, you can give willingly and freely to your church. Again, let's go back to how you have blessed a hundred families with Christmas. We have some notes from, from some of the kids that you have blessed because of your generosity. Kids who, from the schools that you partner with who have written thank you letters because of your generosity. Now, I don't know what the Lord is gonna do through their life. Like, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor. I actually thought pastors were clowns. Some of them are still. Let's be real; depending on what the theology is. But I was to think that, right? I grew up it's like I don't want to be. I don't want to go to church. I don't, I don't want to go to. Be, but this is what the Lord has done from this moment in my life. Even before this, in many ways and areas upon my life, as we, as we continue to go, I see how the Lord has been faithful in my life. How good he is. How good he has been to both not just my life, but my my wife's life as well. Listen. All these seeds that are being planted, I pray that these families will come to know Jesus. The fact that your generosity has blessed so many families here in your community, near the Annis campus as well, you're praying that seeds will be planted. We have an action step here. What opportunity do you have to increase your standard of giving? Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.